Hello, I'm Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm recording this on Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. And on Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, I will be recording another audio commentary as I continue going through Season 5 of Bungo Stray Dogs. Last time, we looked at Season 5, Episode 6 of Bungo Stray Dogs, Episode 56 overall, titled At the Port in the Sky, Part 2. This week, we're looking at At the Port to the Sky, Part 3, Season 5, Episode 7, Episode 57 overall. This audio commentary is released Wednesday night after the premiere of the episode and is available for any patrons at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. Then this commentary will be public and free by Sunday night to watch on YouTube or listen via the podcast RSS link in the description. Also at that podcast RSS link, you can hear my reaction to Bungo Stray Dogs Chapter 109. Speaking of Chapter 109, there is a spoiler warning for all of Bungo Stray Dogs, and I do mean all of it, up to Chapter 109 of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga, as well as the films, stage plays, light novels, and audio dramas. There are also timestamps in the description to skip ahead to different parts of this commentary. In this audio commentary, I will talk about the episode trailer, then which chapters I think will be adapted, We'll get into the audio commentary, and at the end, I'll share my post-episode reactions and any additional thoughts and news about all things Bungo. I expect that in this week's audio commentary, I'm going to be all over the place, liking a lot of stuff, but complaining about other details. And that starts with the trailer itself. On Monday, August 21st, 2023, Kadokawa released the trailer for Season 5, Episode 7. There's good news and bad news. On the one hand, yay, new trailer with actual new footage we haven't seen in earlier trailers for Season 5. And the animation in the trailer for this week's episode looks really good. Techo's murderous face and shadows, a vampire kicking Aya, Sigma and Dazai dancing, all of that is animated really well. On the other hand, ah crap, why do we have to spoil what happens in this week's episode? I'm being overly harsh. It's not as if showing Teruko capturing Atushi or Kenji versus Techo ruins the ongoing plot. It makes sense that Rompo sends them out to go save Aya and Bram Stoker so it's not much of a spoiler. But even that the Atushi and Kenji stuff makes sense, the Dazai and Sigma stuff does not. Because last week's episode didn't show Dazai picking Sigma as his prison duel partner, now showing the two dancing in this week's episode seems like a mistake. Not because you shouldn't show that dance in the trailer, it is well animated and funny and clarifies the character dynamics, but because Dazai's choice of Sigma should have been the post-credit cliffhanger to last week's episode. If you didn't introduce last week how big a deal it was for Sigma and Dazai to be working together, 
then spoiling that in the trailer for this week's episode undermines the importance of this moment. At least Kotokawa figured out how to build up anticipation by not showing Vampire Chuya yet. And to repeat myself, yes, the animation, posing, storyboarding, facial expressions, and importance of this dance between Dazai and Sigma, that all works. We'll talk about the animation, either after I get through this week's episode or another time. But if I don't talk about the animation this week, we will have to talk about one person online who had a good point about why the animation may actually have improved for these more recent Season 5 episodes compared to ones earlier this season. And just like the trailer to last week's episode, the one scene that catches me off guard is again the last thing to appear in the trailer, and it happens to be something with Aya in it, and it surprises me because I'm not remembering those scenes with Aya. I did not remember that a vampire lands a kick on Aya. I think one reason I didn't remember is because this is a rare case where the anime stages the scene better than the manga. Honestly, I think it looks better in the anime than in the manga, so points to Studio Bones for improving upon the manga rather than making a worse choice. Back to the trailer, Aya survives the full force of that vampire's kick. This is why getting to see Aya in action is good. She took a kick from a vampire and kept going. It's also why the Atushi stuff seems to have upset fans. I'm not going to agree with viewers who think that Atushi is losing the spotlight to Aya. No, he is not losing the spotlight to Aya. That is a bullshit argument. That is not what is happening. There's more than enough time and opportunities to address Aya's story and Atushi's story. They are not in competition with each other. Rather, the problem for Atushi has to do with the mission statement of this season and last season, and how that mission statement does a disservice to Atushi. Why is Atushi losing every match instead of rising to at least one occasion? We started Season 4 with Kunikita warning Atushi that he is not a good fighter and depends on his tiger ability. He lost to Gogol, he lost to Fukuchi, he is losing to Teruko, he is going to lose to Vampire Kutagawa. He wasn't there to save Kunikita from losing his hands. He wasn't there to help Yosano get away from the hunting dogs. He couldn't save Sigma. None of this is to ignore what he has accomplished, but all this is to point out the failure to give Atushi an unambiguous victory, and it is confusing why this story keeps denying Atushi some victory. Is the point to show that Atushi is a shonen protagonist in the wrong genre? That his youthful passion is not enough to win the day in this Sinine story? Atushi has this potential, and has not risen to the occasion. Meanwhile, we have seen Aya rise to the occasion repeatedly, but her circumstances are different than Atushi's. Until we reveal any ability that Aya has, she is just not facing competitors as lethal as the ones Atushi faces. 
and despite Atuji's seeming failure to rise to the occasion, I can't ignore that he has faced lethal threats repeatedly and survived, and that is not nothing. I can't imagine anyone in this series who would do much better than Atuji has done against Gogol, Fukuchi, Teruko, and Vampire Akutagawa. But I also know that we have seen Atushi handle worse, and he should have won some of these fights. Why didn't he take off his own leg to get out of Gogol's trap? He lost to Fukuchi only due to that stupid time travel. Why can't he overpower Teruko or Vampire Akutsugawa? Granted, I'll have the same question why Kenji can't overcome Techo, and the excuse by the story that the hunting dogs are physically enhanced soldiers is a cheap cop-out. Those are questions that I don't think the series has handled well, beyond the excuse that Atushi has to lose because the plot says so, and that kind of artifice makes the story structure too obvious and fails to let the audience suspend disbelief. That takes care of the trailer stuff. Let's talk about which chapters will be adapted in this episode and what happens in those chapters. Last week, Season 5, Episode 6 adapted almost all of Chapter 97 at the Portway to the Sky, Part 5. However, that episode didn't adapt what happens at the very last moment of that chapter. Chapter 97 ends with Gogol offering tools for Dazai and Fyodor to choose for their prison duel, but Dazai chooses Sigma as his tool. Based on what we see in the trailer for this week's episode, I expect this episode will adapt almost all of chapters 98 and 99. Of all the scenes in the trailer, the one that takes place latest in the chronology of the manga is Kenji and Techo locking hands in combat. I don't think the episode will end there, however. I think the episode will adapt up to part of chapter 100, which features Teruko betraying Atushi and Kenji seemingly defeated by Techo. But let's say I'm wrong, and let's say that this week's episode adapts just a bit more content. Let me talk about what I think next week's episode, Season 5, Episode 8, will adapt. I think Episode 8 will adapt Chapters 100.5, 101, and 102, in which we'll see the following. First, we'll see Kenji's backstory and the end of the fight with Techo. Second, we'll see Dazai drowning Theodore and Chuya. Finally, Episode 8 will end with Bram's backstory and Akutagawa about to capture Bram and Aya. Those are the three major details that I think will happen in Episode 8, and I really hope none of those three details are adapted into Episode 7, as it's a lot to get through, and I don't think Episode 7 can fit them all. And I think those three details are already more than enough for Episode 8, so I hope Episode 8 doesn't try to adapt anything extra. This season is still rushing everything, and without a two-part light novel adaptation to end this season, if episodes 7 and 8 try to adapt anything more, then season 5 is going to catch up with the manga, or even overtake the manga. 
My guesses as to how far each episode will adapt the manga have been at best slightly incorrect and at worst super really unbelievably wrong. So let's see how wrong my guesses are this week. Let's begin today's audio commentary for Season 5, Episode 7, Episode 57 overall, titled At the Port in the Sky, Part 3. It is now Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. I had today's episode pulled up and paused. You can watch this episode on the Crunchyroll website, then pause the episode before it starts. I will do a countdown, so after I finish saying 3, 2, 1, unpause, you can unpause the episode and watch along with my audio commentary. Everyone ready? Okay, starting the countdown. Three, two, one, unpause. The fact that they want us to believe this entire arc can be condensed to just 30 minutes stretches believability. I would have to go back through the manga and try to count the minutes. This doesn't feel like it would take 30 minutes. Although that being said, that can be my fault. I have been accusing this season of rushing everything so quickly. Speaking of which, the fact that they say the surface. We'll see if we get to it, but last time when Vampire Chuya went through all of the security measures. It was named after a Greek mythological figure associated with the underworld. I will be curious whether Studio Bones keeps one of the Merceau prison guards that Chuya will, I think, kill. Because that person Chuya kills also comes from Greek mythology about the underworlds. And this is why they pushed all this back from chapter 97 into this episode. I should appreciate that we are getting the heist information so that when things go badly, we understand how badly they have gone. That being said, then they should have just made each episode its own. One episode, the I and Bram sub, one episode, the prison duel. And yes, Gogol is about the only entertaining part we're getting aside from Sigma in this arc. I do appreciate how Studio Bones has amped up Gogol's silliness because that is needed for just how morose this is all going to get and how boring this exposition would be without having Gogol as our narrator. Right, like this part here, getting this exposition would not work very well if we didn't have it be Gogol giving the one giving it. I wonder who that was drowning, that that was supposed to be Theodore or Dazai, because, sorry to say this, me differentiating these two is nearly impossible. It's almost like Studio Bones knows how to make these gags work when they put in the effort. This is better than the Teruko stuff because it lets Fyodor show some dementiality and it's in keeping with Dazai's obsession with suicide. I almost wish that they won't include the Season 5 opener 
that means it would then be led to the credits, which I wouldn't like either, but the pacing and how much information they had to fit in, it would be so much better if they didn't have to rush it and could avoid the opening. Also, noticing the crown on the Merceau prison security card suggests that this is controlled by the aura of the clock tower. Not confirmed, just potential. I don't like how Google says there are security guards on each floor because we've already seen Shuya decimate a bunch of them. He's going to decimate the others. And then there's pretty much no one left as a prison guard once Fyodor does his business, which is so disappointing and cheap because animation avoids crown shots and come up with excuses to say, this is why we don't have this many people in this scene. To have it be, here are all these prison guards, and then have it be, but Shuya killed them all, is so boring. And it's disappointing because when we see the security guard that Shuya kills and he talks and everything, you sit there thinking, there could have been all these additional characters, and it's not that we need more and more characters to this story, but you want to believe there's a world of characters. You want to believe these aren't faceless prison guards. They have a history. Even My Hero Academia figured that out to make sure one of the prison guards was the father of one of the students we already met. And I'm going to be checking out this opening because I still can't stand it. And, you know, if you're going to just make an opening that is reusing old footage, seeing as we've already killed off Akutsugawa and we're enlightening his influence on Atushi for the moment, then remove the Akutsugawa parts, put in stuff with Aya and Bram and Kunikita and other characters. I've done thought experiments that if Bungo Stray Dogs ever ended up on Tsunami, how would they edit it for time? How would they shorten the opening? And one strategy I thought was, the openings tend to summarize an entire season arc you could have an opening edited three different ways across a season depending on which characters are most prominent in that episode and i just noticed techo in this opening we will have to talk in this episode about i'm not feeling how the story tells you techo is now really concerned for juno and is putting juno's welfare above justice you know, it would be nice to get that sense if that had come up at all in the previous season. It makes me want to go back and re-watch episodes to see, did Techo actually show concern for Juno and I just was too ignorant to notice? Again, Bones knows how to implement humor when it can fit a scene. This lends some credence to what I think someone online said, which is that Studio Bones probably rushed the first set of episodes, and then when they get to take their time here, it gets better.
I do appreciate that they didn't have Bram spend a long time with the gag there about dig a hole and lie in it, which in the manga was much more of a joke. Here, I appreciate Bram isn't making a joke because we needed that serious moment. And the cutaway and the music there does help build anticipation, so another good choice by Bones, albeit one coming from the manga, to switch back to Dazai and Sigma for this dance. And yes, the animation on it is really good, the facial expressions are good. It's bothersome how Studio Bones scheduled where and when the budget would be used. The first episodes didn't get what they needed. These episodes, I hope, get what they need. This one so far has gotten it. I also like the staging with Theodore in the center. They are grabbing from the Noragami second opening with Theodore's Pose, another Studio Bones production. Yeah, that kick was nowhere near as impactful in the manga. Something changed at Studio Bones, and how they had Bram do that head overturn. The problem is, is that in the manga, Bram glaring at the vampire was so much better. The expression on Bram's face, the moment where you can pause, they're rushing this too fast. We need a moment to figure out did Bram just intimidate the vampire, or does Bram actually have control over these vampires and he's underestimating himself or is constrained by the swords? We do have Aya in the position of Atushi here, where in any other story, it would have been Aya rising to the occasion. Here, we can't have her rise to the occasion yet, because we're probably going to reveal her ability once Bram is freed from the sword. It is bothersome that we didn't give something more there to Aya. I can't believe the Dazai dance is still going. Sigma is the audience surrogate. And it's why it's bothersome that Sigma screws up so badly against Theodore in this arc, because if this is your audience surrogate and you want to get behind them, you should feel like Sigma won and you can win too, whereas Bungo Stray Dogs is a story that says you would not survive everything in your life and you need to accept that you are going to fail. Kind of demoralizing, but given that this is also a story that seems to suggest you can't beat fascism, I'm honestly not surprised at the pessimism and cynicism of this story. Sigma having to say that they're grateful to Gogol, that has to be painful. Given that I did not like how they staged Gogol and Sigma back in episode one this season to now return to this dynamic, it would be good to do a comparison and there we cheap out. See, here's the thing. You make these little choices that seem cheap to have Gogol just turn away and not animate it. The still images of Sigma imagining the home are from the manga, so can't really nitpick this looking cheaper because that's how the manga did stage it.
And then you get this kind of staging here to show how Sigma feels outclassed and overshadowed. Studio Bones is making some good storyboarding and staging choices. Again, it's why it is so infuriating how much the rest of the last two seasons hasn't worked. I also appreciate the staging to show Dazai practically can hear Sigma's thoughts and realize what's going on. And now we're going to see how quickly Sigma picks up on that being Shuya. Again, this is a little much that Dazai is this good at figuring things out. Oh, so we do have... So we do have Beerus. I'm shocked that they put him into the anime. I thought they would cut this scene. Studio Bones is doing better here, and it's almost like they keep thinking we got to emphasize Chuya. This angel here. There are at least three ideas fans have had that Dazai's referring to Ango, or potentially with the angel reference Gogol, or we're going to meet another Merso prisoner, and that could be the one that Chuya's referring, sorry, that Dazai is referring to. I don't know. I don't really like Gogol being afraid there, but what can you do? Prisoner D18, potentially a chess reference to Queen's Gambit. Theodore does refer to Lucy Montgomery as Dazai's queen. I don't know if there's anything there. And then we have the pawn reference, so I'm guessing it is B3. I don't know if that's a reference to anything. I am annoyed that our attitude is, I can't take this seriously. This anime and the franchise overall positions Chuya way above where he should be. He's a nothing character within this story. He's better suited as the protagonist of his own story. Stormbrainer works for him, and then we had that silly noise he makes. Uh, that should be to emphasize how inhuman he is. Maybe I'll rant about this another time, but I find the vampire designs this season to be so freaking boring. And I think that's the point. They're supposed to look uniform because Fuguchi is engaging in a xenophobic attack to make every vampire look like the foreign other, a uniform threat that he can fight against, seeing as he did refer to his UN army as the army for humankind. Hence, if you can make everyone seem inhuman, it makes your fascist movement easier to enforce. I don't know how I feel about Rompo figuring out Ayamusa have kidnapped Bram, and it bothers me how Kenji doesn't just get Bram and Aya into Lucy's room immediately, 
but we need the plot to keep going. And now we're going to get another gag. Again. Ah, oh, Studio Bones, what is wrong with you? When Bram thinks he's a farmer, he gets this excited, shocked, scared expression. Bones, I'm shocked that you can't already take what's in the manga and use what works so well. But in any case, Rompo already said they're going to kill Bram to stop his ability. I'm kind of shocked that they don't have Kenji mention that to Bram. And I don't know what the story's going to do. If Bram gets his limbs back, they're not going to kill him. I'm guessing. If he remains like this, we're going to have a moral quandary whether to kill off Bram. We're about 16 minutes into the episode, so we don't have much left. So, is this episode going to end with... Atushi managing to get through to Teruko before Teruko betrays Atushi. And now we get here why we didn't see Atushi in the room after Rompo had his moment of self-doubt. Again, I wish things were restaged different than how the manga was. You, the fastest runner, are key. Um, I'm going to skip ahead. Atushi's going to fail. And that's what's so disappointing that he screws up this badly. Also, this is too much to think Teruko just happens to have the exact same disguise as Aya. That's not believable. That is stretching believability for me, and I know it's like, this is a story, you need to suspend disbelief. Granted, at the same time, the fact that Teruko is going to defeat Atushi simply because the story says the hunting dogs are biologically engineered to be more powerful, it's cheap writing. It's just cheap to say they're augmented and that's how they defeat the agency. I don't feel like we've increased the threats to Atushi enough where we get to feel like Atushi has risen to the occasion. So, of course, he needs a bigger threat. And now with this bigger challenge, he won't be able to win this. I also overlooked the amusing gag of Kenji having all of the vampires piled up. That's a throwback to season one when Kenji did the same to the Black Lizard. I would feel that this was more believable that Techo is this concerned to Juno if we had a sense of a camaraderie between the two. Juno has shown nothing but disdain for Techo to suddenly act like the two of them had this camaraderie is a joke. That Techo moment didn't quite work here but that didn't work in the manga either. Okay, the fact that Fukuchi told Techo, hey, um, a vampire attacked Juno and I couldn't stop it, it's Fukuchi. The fact that Techo is like, oh, so Tachihara is missing and Juno got captured by a vampire and Fukuchi couldn't stop that. It's not believable that Techo is this ignorant. The fact that Techo doesn't assume that Juno is dead and can't just focus on the mission. I keep killing people before I get to hear them. Again, not a likable character, and I don't get how any fans out there enjoy her. 
the only thing that works for her is the voice. Everything else is pathetic. She is a liar. She says, I am here for law and order. I am here to protect innocence. And then she says, I enjoy torturing people until they die. And I don't get the information that way. And if you want to say that was just her trying to trick Atushi and scare him into confessing because she knew he had the camera, the videotape, fine, whatever. I'm not going to be convinced. I'm digging in my heels being obstinate about this. It's also why acting like Tachihara has any regard for Techo, sorry, for Teruko, and wants her to believe him, it would be great if we had shown that there was some camaraderie Tachihara had for the hunting dogs as a family, even an abusive, dysfunctional one, and we just don't. The acting for Tachihara is really good here, and the animation is as well, so I appreciate that. But Teruko is going to act here like I was motivated by Tachihara and it got through to me, and then it's going to be shown to be a lie when we learn that she already knows Fukuchi is Kamui. He instigated the vampire outbreak. He did that before Tachihara went missing. She knew that before Fukuchi killed Tachihara. This isn't getting through to her. At least as far as the manga is shown. As far as the manga is shown, she is full on Fukuchi. She doesn't care that Fukuchi killed Tachihara and Juno. She is full on team fascist. So you put in the story, oh, this got through to her, and then it didn't get through to her. I don't know what it does to propel her character. I don't know where her character will go next when Fukuchi loses, assuming he does lose. But, you know, we'll see. I know that this should demonstrate that the story is working because it's getting my attention and making me intrigued and why keep finding out what happens next. But it's also... Teruko's just an awful person. So, are we going to do Teruko betraying Atushi here? Because, yeah, so w I should appreciate the manga. The manga, I don't remember foreshadowing that to show that Teruko knew she was going to betray Atushi. I don't remember the manga foreshadowing that, so I do appreciate that to emphasize this isn't going to work out for him. Studio Bones, what are you doing with your promotions? You took something that came from the end of this fight and put it in the trailer. I wish Kadokawa would stop spoiling everything in the trailers. As I read online, yeah, Kenji is really made to be the sacrificial lamb every time. And, you know, maybe there's something appropriate to that, given he is the agrarian character, so of course he would be the scapegoat. Except that's not what a scapegoat is. It's just tiresome that Kenji, it's not quite torture porn, but it gets there. I did not remember him getting stabbed through the chest like that in the manga. That was more brutal in this episode. So, as the credits are going, this is still a mixed bag for me. We get moments of the animation really improving, but there are still the story-based problems like I don't believe Tetsuo would be so 
focused on protecting Juno, and I don't know the point of the Teruko stuff. That being said, maybe the animation was enough to push this over to being a much better episode, just in terms of they didn't screw up a ton of content. But on the other hand, we do lose those moments of Bram having the most incredible facial expressions towards the vampire and towards Kenji. So, missed opportunity in my opinion. Land of Inhuman Demons. That is not the title of the manga in the next chapter. So, I'm surprised that Studio Bones has just said we're tired of calling these the airport episodes because... Once we get to the prison duel and Bram's backstory, this is no longer an airport fight. This is now an inhuman fight. I have stepped away from the episode to try to gather my thoughts before recording this next part. A lot of what I was going to talk about, what does and doesn't work in Techo's motivations, the improved quality in the animation, why the vampire designs are so boring, are topics I managed to get into in the audio commentary itself, so I'm going to bullet point summarize those. If the anime or the original manga had done a better job showing some regard that Techo has for Juno, I'd believe Techo's fixation on stopping Kenji. Instead, it just felt like Techo and Juno want to kill each other, and not even in an Atsushi and Akutagawa fashion, just in absolute malice for each other and out of their sick fascist tendencies. It has been difficult for this series to humanize the hunting dogs to make them feel like every time Techo stabbed Juno, that was out of some friendly affection. Although, given how enhanced the hunting dogs' bodies are, I guess we're to accept those stabbings were not lethal, so it was just friendly. I needed to see the hunting dogs more as a family to buy how devoted Techo is to Juno, and how Tachihara's words got through to Teruko. But as I said, Teruko already knows Fukuchi had Tachihara killed, so that doesn't even work. Mixed messaging by this story. This is all a seeming failure by the series to clarify how we are to regard the hunting dogs. Is this a group that was close until Fukuchi divided them upon revealing his grand scheme? Or were they never a close-knit group and we are supposed to see them as what the agency could have become if not for Fukuzawa's humanity? Let's talk about something more uplifting. The animation has become more fluid, storyboarding choices are more effective, and I didn't even talk about what changes Studio Bones made to improve some gags, such as Theodore and Dazai each in shoujo bubbles imagining killing the other. But I do wish we had kept Bram Stoker's absolute fury at the vampire for kicking Aya, and absolute fear and awe at Kenji being a farmer. The last thing I'll mention about this episode. The vampire designs are so boring, and I think that's supposed to be the point. Asagiri enjoys reversing story details, such that you had the real-life Edogawa Rampo inspired by the real-life Edgar Allan Poe, whereas in this story, 
it's Poe who is inspired by Rompo. In that regard, the real-life Bram Stoker, intentionally or not, gave us vampires as a stand-in for an imagined foreign threat. So in Bungo Stray Dogs, it's instead Fukuchi making vampires that uniform foreign threat, something he explicitly calls inhuman, so that it is easier to hate a foreign, faceless, uniformed enemy in order to get the population to give more power to the domestic military system in a ceaseless war on terror. I wish Bungo Stray Dog spoke more to a post-9-11 United States. We'll have to see how applicable later moments are, seeing as right now in the manga, Fukuchi has literally launched nuclear war, and so far the story has not used that to discuss a post-World War II nuclear-powered arms race that we are still living through. That takes care of my three bullet points about how the hunting dogs are still not a believable family structure, how the animation improved but still failed to bring out Bram Stoker's personality more, and why the vampires in this series have such boring designs. And no, I'm not here for simping for Vampire Chuya, or that weird baby scream he made. Let me conclude with what to expect next time. I'm shocked the next episode isn't called At the Port to the Sky Part 4, seeing as the manga is still calling its current chapters that. Instead, Studio Bones went ahead and gave Season 5 Episode 8, Episode 58 overall, a new title, Land of Inhuman Demons Part 1. And that is a good title. I just wish I knew where it came from because I don't remember it from the manga. I assume it derives from three different origin stories. First, Kenji's origin story as he is quite ferocious when he wants to be and comes from a distant land. Second, Fukuchi's origin story given it was the foreign battlefield that let him become this fascist. And finally, Bram Stoker's origin story given how he has been marginalized due to an ability he can't control that has made him into something he's not, and he is from far away from Yokohama. Sidebar, seeing as Bram does not intend to turn people into vampires, but still does under Fukuchi's coercion, this seems like a more palatable version of the dilemma for Toga in My Hero Academia, although obviously different intended messages as Bram is forced against his will, while Toga operates within limited options and we in the audience are stuck having to understand she is limited in her options, but still responsible for taking on unacceptable actions. Or, maybe the next episode title comes from how inhuman Theodore and Chuya are going to be in this arc. There is no footage that I know of for the rest of this season, so I will be going in ignorant as to what happens next. As I said earlier in this audio commentary, I think episode 8 will adapt chapters 100.5, 101, and 102, in which we'll see the following. First, we'll see Kenji's backstory and the end of his fight with Tetsho. Second, we'll see Dazai drowning Theodore and Chuya. Finally, episode 8 will end with Bram's backstory and Akutsugawa about to capture Bram and Aya. Maybe we'll see Teruko betray Atsushi? 
I really hope we don't rush to Theodore and Chuya escaping or Fukuchi capturing Kunikita and Tanazaki before attacking Rompo and Fukuzawa, but we'll see next time. I'll wrap up there for today. Thank you so much for listening to this audio commentary. What did you think of today's episode? Are things becoming more entertaining now that Sigma gets to bounce off of Dazai? Are you sympathizing more with Techo than I am? And are you excited for Kenji's backstory? Let me know your thoughts in the comments section or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed this commentary, please consider contributing at coffee.com slash derek.s.mcgrath or patreon.com slash derek.s.mcgrath. Special thanks to Alec Roach, Emily Lauer, and Alexis Durant. Next week, I'll record audio commentary for Season 5, Episode 8, Episode 58 overall of Bungo Stray Dogs titled Land of Inhuman Demons Part 1. Until then, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good day. Bye.